All right, let's uh, turn to Proverbs once again, and uh, we're going to go uh, back to where we kind of left off in chapter 5. We'll read again verse number 15 down through verse number 21. We will not cover all the same material, though. We'll, we'll make a kind of a, a little bit of a departure. Um, again, I'll try to be discreet and leave the words with you uh, most of the times, but um, I'll try to be discreet for the kids. But we'll, I just want to tie up some loose ends with this, look at a couple other uh, relevant passages before we move on to another verse in Proverbs in our study our major themes study. And so we're looking at family matters as seen in Proverbs. Chapter 5, verse number 15, the Bible says, Drink waters out of thine own cistern, and running waters out of thine own well. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad, and rivers of waters in the streets. Let them be only thine own, and not strangers with thee. Let thy fountain be blessed, and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times, and be thou ravished always with her love. And why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman, and embrace the bosom of a stranger? For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. All right, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for uh, everyone that's here today that is able to be here. Thank you for the opportunity to meet in Sunday school. Lord, I pray, I ask you for your blessing and grace upon the Sunday school activities uh, downstairs, uh, the songs, uh, the, the, the various activities, the teaching. Please give your grace to Brother and Sister Baruch and to uh, Miss Priscilla and to uh, Miss Pam and to uh, Sister McLean as well. Please give grace to them and wisdom and understanding. Help the kids pay attention and to benefit and profit from it. And Lord, I pray and commit this time to you as well. I pray for your blessing upon our studies that you would help us, Lord, to learn uh, just exactly what you ha what would have for us this morning and that we would have the value system that you have concerning these issues of the family, especially as it relates to marriage. Uh, that we would not get our value system from the world, but we would get it from the, the, uh, the mouth of our Creator who created these things for our good and for our benefit. And so, Lord, we ask your blessing upon it. Lord, guide us and help us and teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so last week we were talking about, uh, specifically about the, the, uh, the, the intimate relationship between husbands and wives, and we looked at some of those things, and as I said, I won't cover all of that again, but I do kind of want to pick up um, in, verse, in verse number 19, the word, I'll just say the word satisfy, the word satisfy is used in verse number 19. Um, you know, <clears throat> we've talked a lot about the, the nature of man in our Sunday school, you know, that's something we've gone over and over and over because this is an important fact uh, for us to, to understand. It's in the Scripture a lot about what God says about our nature because we deceive ourselves about our nature. Well, one of the things that God has put in mankind is this, this uh, desire that is 
that is to be fulfilled only within the confines of marriage. All right, that is a that is a God given desire. Now we know uh, you almost can't say that without immediately following it with the the warning that that desire is <clears throat> in our day, in in all in ever since Adam and Eve fell in the garden, it's it's been a desire that has been fulfilled uh, unlawfully. But that desire, that part of a relationship between a husband and a wife is something God established before there was ever sin. And that's why, that's why even though in, in certain segments of society, uh, this subject, again, being careful, but this subject is often avoided and not spoken of because it is it's thought that, you know, that's something that shouldn't be spoken of. And it's thought that that's, uh, it's kind of taboo. But, it, it, but, here, but here's the thing we have to understand, is that God speaks to it because it is an important matter. It is an important matter. The reality is, and those of you that especially that are older, the reality is that this particular subject is not something that's spoken of a lot, uh, in, especially in times past. Now people talk about it too much. You know, it's everywhere on the Internet. It's everything. But... But oftentimes, problems in this area were never, were never really addressed. And it was just kind of swept along, well, that we just, you know, go along to get along and that kind of thing. But, but God addresses it. The Lord addresses it. And He uses the word satisfy because there are desires. And there are, and, and so there is a, that what I'm saying is there is a proper biblical and godly means that God has established for this, these kinds of things to be satisfied. Remember, when, when man fell in the garden, he took whatever, whatever was present in man, there were all these things that were already present in man, his knowledge, his wisdom, these kinds of desires, but there's many other things in the nature of man that God in which God created him to have. But all of those things fell, you see. All of that nature of man fell, corrupted. And so, and that goes along with this, this particular kind of desire. But nevertheless, nevertheless, God has provided a way so that these desires can be satisfied. And that's why the, the, word, is, the word here is used. But here's the key. <clears throat> um, oh, okay, I'm looking at the wrong. I was like, my notes don't, don't seem to make sense to what I'm saying. That's because I was looking on the wrong side of the page. All right. Now, what you'll notice is uh, we will not do this today, but my wife has pointed out something. Maybe one day she could, uh, she could speak in a, in, a, in a ladies' setting about this. But if you look at chapter 6 and chapter 7, again, we're not going to look there, but, but you'll see a description of the strange woman, the wicked woman, the adulterous woman. You'll see how that e uh, even though the, the adulterous woman, all of that she does is wicked and ungodly. And listen, that not only applies to women that you know and see in person, it also implies to all the trash that is being put on the internet. People are making money doing this. They're making money doing this. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, we're going to be simple concerning evil, but just suffice it to say, there's, there are means to make money. There are websites where people can, uh, engage in this kind of activity outside of what, you, what we normally have known for a long time in that industry. But there, there are ways to do that. And people are doing it all the time. People you think are good and upright and you know, school teachers and 
you know, this, you know, people that, that are, they have the appearance of somebody who's moral and, and they're not. They're not. These are strange women. These are ungodly women. And the men who view it also are likewise the same way. You know, uh, Hebrews 13, verse uh, 8, we read last, last week, marriage is honorable and all, and bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers. The whoremonger is the man. Whoremonger is the man, and adulterers God will judge. So, when you look at the description of the strange woman in Proverbs 6 and Proverbs 7, you'll see all these things she does to flatter and to beautify herself and her bed and all that she, do, all that she does to attract the men that are her, that, that, that are her prey. That's the, the, the terminology used. You'll see all of those things. But what, what you have to understand is there is a sanctified version of that. All of the things that wicked woman does to attract to uh, attract a man on those very desires are the same desires we're reading about in Proverbs five, and there. So there is a sanctified, a holy version of all of that in Proverbs six and seven. And my wife has has uh, I, I know she's she's talked about this before. I, I think she's written some stuff and and things uh, about what you might be able to learn from the strange woman. Now, of course, you don't want to learn her morals. But as far as maintaining this part of, a, of a, a marriage relationship, you know, there's some things to learn there. Because again, we see it in chapter 5. We see the same thing. It's just holy in chapter 5, and in chapter 6 and 7 is wicked. Even though it's the same activity, the same matter. So he says in verse number 20, And why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman? You notice in verse 19, the word ravished is used referring to the wife. A proper Marital relationship. Verse 20, same word is used, ravished. But it's talking about a wicked relationship. That's what I'm trying to say. It's the same thing. It's just one's holy and one's not. So therefore, there should be no guilt associated with this within the confines of marriage. There should be no guilt. That needs to go away. It needs to go away. And I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm saying this, and this is far, as far as I'm going to push it, Okay. It's also a matter that among the husband and wife that, that should be discussed. It shouldn't be something that we, we never talk about. I mean, there's no one upon the earth that you should be closer to than your spouse. And if you cannot talk to your spouse about that matter, then you certainly don't need to be talking to, talking to it about anybody else. Listen, ladies, I know women sometimes get together and talk about that matter among their friends. Do not do that. That is out of place. That is, not, that is not within the boundaries of a scripturally uh, a discreet and godly woman. That's something you need to talk, to talk about with your spouse. But in, that, in those confines, it's perfectly fine. Now, if the word ravish is used in 19 and verse 20, but one's holy and one's unholy, and the question is asked why. And I mentioned this last week. But the question is why. Here's what's, here's what's implied. Here's what's, here's what's being said. If you have a wife, why would you do that? Right? If you have a wife, why would you, why would you go after a strange woman who is not your wife to do the very thing that your wife is there for? And of course, I say wife, but we all know this. It goes both ways. I'm just just to be brief. 
In other words, in other words, the proper holy marital relationship is God's answer. Is God's answer to that wicked relationship. It's God's answer to supply and fulfill, satisfy that carnal desire in man. And here's the thing. And when we have a proper marital relationship, now hear me, please. When we have a proper marital relationship in that department, that is part of, not the whole, but that is part of God's prescription to protect us against sexual immorality. A proper marital relationship in that particular department is one of the ways that God protects us from from immorality. But when that's defunct and out of order, temptation will come in its wake. Temptation will come in its wake. Now, I want to I hasten to say that just because you're married, just because you're married and you have a good relationship with your spouse does not mean that it will preclude you from being subject to temptation in that way. Forget it. In fact, there are many, 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 many married men that have normal relationships in that way with their spouse and are still looking at porn. They're still looking at ungodliness. They're still doing it. So it's not to say, well, if I, if I just get married or if, I, you know, if, 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 if all of that is in order, then no, everything will be good. No, 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 no. But it's part, of the, it's part of it. It's part of it. This is further seen. This is further seen in verses 13, 3 through 14. Notice what it says. It says, I'll just kind of, just kind of bounce through the verses. For the lips of a strange woman drop as in honeycomb. Her end is bitter as worm. So there's a description of the strange woman. Remove, verse 8, remove thy way far from her. Verse 11, lest thou, uh, and thou mourn at the last when thy flesh and thy body are consumed. Verse 13, and have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined mine ear to them that instructed me. And then verse 15. So there's a description from verse 3 to verse 14 of the strange woman and the the pitfalls and and extreme dangers of being involved with a strange woman, whether you're married or not. There's there's the pitfalls of that. And then immediately, once you get from verse 14, you you go to verse 15 and it pivots. And it pivots with this, drink waters out of of thine own sister. Now, we talked about drink waters last week. We'll not repeat that, but, but to say you can see the contrast and the pivot the wicked way. Now, here's, here's the answer. The answer is, drink waters out of thine own cistern. In other words, that goes back to our, our, uh, um, our illustration, the comparison of the well and the cistern being one's own versus another's. If you have your own and you're thirsty, then you, you use your own well, use your own cistern rather than someone else's. That is exact. Again, this is God's answer to, that, to the wickedness that this world practices. See, here's the thing. There are many, there are many, many people that come up in very conservative churches. Our church is very conservative, theologically, practically. It's very conservative, you know, in that way. We, and that doesn't, we're, we're not conservative because we're trying to toe the conservative line. We are simply trying, and I hope you are too in your personal life, trying to follow the Scripture. Whatever that ends up being, conservative, not whatever. 
We're just trying to follow the Bible. But often it, it ends up being that we're in the conservative camp, right? So that's fine, whatever. I'm not concerned with that. Here's the thing. Among many conservative churches, though, in many conservative churches, though, because this subject is not talked about, people feel a lot of guilt. People do feel a lot of guilt, and they don't know how to deal with it. They don't know how to address these problems when they get married. But it is something, again, if the Lord addresses it, it is something that we should know about. And it is not something the Lord specifically says that this matter is holy. It's honorable. So it's not something that we should, we should carry around guilt with. But, but it, that's what happens. See, so much preaching, we, we, we stand in the pulpit and we preach against immorality. Right. It's right. Immorality, preaching against immorality is right. But we don't counterbalance that with preaching the good thing, the good answer to that. And when that happens, people feel, start to feel guilty. And you know what? I just, I mean, just as a practical matter, if you have kids at some point in your life, your kids, ought, you ought to embarrass your kids. Uh, I mean, they ought to see, they ought to see lovey-dovey, mushy-gushy stuff that embarrasses them. They ought to see it. Because it's not, just, it's not just what you say, it's also what you do. And they need to see that. And that'll help kind of break them out of that so that this is a matter that they know is good and right. Now look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you would, it was already in my nose, brother. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, that's not in there. Verse 1 says this, Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for man not to touch a woman, nevertheless to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence and likewise also the wife unto the husband and the wife hath not power over her own body but the husband and likewise also the husband hath not power of, the, of, of, of his own body but the wife. Defraud ye not one the other except it be with consent for a time that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. Now, what, what I just got done reading, this pivot from the wicked version of the relationship to the holy version of the relationship, and how the Lord has provided means to satisfy these desires that are latent in, in human, humankind, here is an example in which you see directly from Satan, a temptation is coming. And the temptation comes in verse 5 directly from Satan because the husband and wife, listen, have, have not come together in that part of their relationship. They have been fasting and praying, and then he says, and come together again. It's temporary. So the idea is if this part of the relationship is messed up and there is, it doesn't function, like, it doesn't function at all. And listen, I've, I've heard of people that, like, in years, there's been no, this has been dysfunctional. Like, the machine's broke. It's just broken. 
this verse says that Satan will use that opportunity to tempt us. And you know what? That's so common because the devil always uses our natural tendencies to tempt us. Always. He uses our, nat- our own nature to lure us away from it. Not just in this matter, but in any matter, whether it's covetousness or idolatry or whatever. He always uses our own nature to lure us away. It's like a, when, just like when you're fishing, right? You're using the fish's own nature to get food, to get the worms, right? To get the minnows, using its own nature to catch the fish. That's exactly what the devil does. That's what the devil does. And so therefore, one way to avoid this satanic temptation is to maintain in righteousness this relationship with your spouse. And we're finally in, back in Proverbs 5. At the very end of this, we see in verse 21, for the, eye, the, ways, rather, the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. He pondereth all his goings. Now, what do I mean? What do I want to say by that? What I mean is that God cares and is paying attention to our relationship with our, our spouse. It matters. And think about what we've just got done reading and studying. This is the context of this verse. And I think it also, it also it reminds me of some of these things with, with all immorality on the Internet and all that, is the, Lord, the Lord's looking because all of this is related. The, the ways of man are before the eye. It's right in front of him. God sees it all. He sees in private. He sees in public. And so we should give our attention to this to make sure it's right. Now, let's look at Proverbs 18. Y'all can breathe easy now because we're going to move to a different subject. Everybody's like, Whoa. Actually, that's more like what I'm like, <laughs> to be honest. Proverbs 18. Is anybody warm in here? Y'all pretty com- comfortable? I'll ask Miss Betty, are you, are you comfortable right now? Okay, she's comfortable. Sorry, all right. I'm just joking. All right, Proverbs 18, verse number 22. Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing. Don't worry, ladies. The Lord's not calling you a thing. Okay? It's in italics on on purpose. Okay? Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Now, how many of you have read your Old Testament and you have kind of gotten the impression that a wife finding a husband, whenever a wife finds a husband, it's, it's like a catch. It's like he has the pick of the litter, and he just, he just you know, because there's all these women that are looking for husbands, right? As you, I'm, just, I'm just being honest. As you've read the Old Testament, have you not gotten the impression sometimes in certain places that it's like the man you can just pick any old woman, want, want any woman he wants, he has the pick, and then the lady... Is just happy to get a husband. <laughs> Come on now, you can be honest. The reality is that, that that was the society in the Old Testament. But it's not in the Bible. You think of Leah with Laban, her dad, right? Leah and Rachel. He had, Laban, her father, had to switch his own daughter on and trick her husband in order to get her married. Like, you, it's, it's almost like Laban is saying with his actions, you ought to be glad anybody took you. And of course, Jacob loved Rachel. 
until the very end because he's buried. He's buried. He was buried next to Leah, but that's another story. But the scripture doesn't say that. The scripture, just because you read something in the Bible doesn't mean God approves of it. God just states it as it is. And there are times when he states it, whether he approves or disapproves. Look at this verse. This is what I'm saying. This is a statement of moral righteousness. You know, whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. In other words, it is not like that at all, despite what society in that day or in our day say. In this verse, finding a, finding a wife is like, is like finding a treasure, a valued and important addition to one's life that significantly adds to the good in one's life. That's what, that's what this verse is saying. Now think about, think about ways that you, you might, think about the things in your life that add good to your life. Somebody give me some things that you feel like over your life, especially those of you that are maybe a little bit older and have experience. What kinds of things you can, you can point to one thing and say, this thing entering my life has brought me so much good. Not counting your spouse because we're talking about that. Children, right? Do your children bring you good? And some people say, well, my children are, are a burden and a grief to me. Well, hold on. That's not how God intended it to be. That's not how God intended it. But we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But children are a, a blessing from God, and they're intended to bring us good. And they do. They do. Are anybody else? Grandchildren. grandchildren. <laughs> All right. Say great. Who has great-grandchildren? Anybody have great? Would you agree great-grandchildren? Right? <laughs> children, of course. Anything else that you would say, when that comes, good comes in its wake? How about a good job? How about a good job? A good job that you don't, you don't mind doing, that's not terrible, and you make money, pays your bills? That's good, right? All right, here, here's one. Salvation, right? You get saved, and with that package of salvation comes a whole lot of good. Of course, more than children, more than wife, more than everything. All right, what else? The privilege of being a full-time wife and mother. All right, being a wife and mother. With that comes good. All right, what else? You see, there are many things in, in our lives. Think about your house. How many good things have come just because you, you, you were able to buy your house and, you know, it's, it's a settled place where you can live. Having, having lived in a place where I, I wasn't settled and I was renting from someone all the time, you know, that's not fun. <laughs> that's not fun. So you have that house. It's just a blessing. It's not, it's not saying it's necessary. It's, not, it's just saying that with certain things in life come good. You have faithful friends. How many of you have a handful of really faithful friends that you know they're going to tell you the truth, you know they love you, they'll pray for you? Look, with that comes so much good, so much encouragement. In the same way, when a wife comes into someone's life, a spouse, it says wife. Men, it says wife. The husband is not spoken of in these terms. In the Bible, in Proverbs, the husband is not spoken of in these terms of a treasure. You don't see who can find a virtuous husband. You don't see that. Right? Over and over in Proverbs. And we'll see it. We'll see it. But this verse doesn't say the husband, uh, the husband, verse 22, whoso findeth the husband findeth the good thing. Now, that might be true, generally speaking, but, but this is talking about the wife. 
because a wife, and I think you could extend that to the spouse, adds good to one's life. Now, it's interesting because when I was reading some of the commentaries on this, they always want to add the word good in front of wife, good wife. And there are verses that indicate that, but here's the thing. What this verse is talking about is the general principle that marriage is good. That's what it's saying. Marriage is good. And when you get married in that, if, you know, when things are right, of course, sin breaks, breaks things and messes things up and brings evil and sorrow when it shouldn't be there. But when everything is right, you, a, a man is by himself, just like Adam. It's not good. It is not good that man should be alone. The word good, remember? A wife is brought into that. That union is there. And good comes in its wake. Adam was happy and satisfied more as a man because of his wife. Now, here's the, here's the reality, and I'm just trying to be honest with you because I'll, I'll always try to be honest with you. Many people do not consider their marriage and their relationship with their spouse as a net good. Right? If we're honest, many people do not consider their relationship with their spouse as a net good. Now, I say the word net because we understand that being married, just like 1 Corinthians 7 says, being married comes with, with that trouble. There's difficulty. You know, when you have to live with another sentient, free moral agent, <laughs> you disagree, right? You don't get along and you got to deal with that. But it's a net good. In other words, the good's better more than the bad. At least it should be. There are challenges, but many people don't view it like that. They view it as it's, a, it's not a net good because that's not their experience. It's not, it's not a net good. It's worse than it is. It's bad, more bad than it is good. They consider it to be a net evil or sometimes a necessary evil. Let me ask you, let me ask you a question. Is that mentality consistent with verse 22? It's not. It's not. This is not God's design. And so when, when, when our marriage relationship is not to us a net good, we know. We don't have to ask questions. We don't have to wonder. We know for a fact from the Scripture that something is not right. Now that something might not be you necessarily, but you know it is not after God's design because God's design is whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing. With that comes good. So if that's not the case, then there, there's a reason. And it's, here, here's, here's what we have to understand. There are many things in the Bible. Now, be honest with me now. Are there not things in the scripture that when you read them, you read what they say, but you say, I, I just haven't seen that as my experience. I just haven't found that to be my experience. In the Bible, God says, this is the way I've designed it to be, and yet you don't feel it that way. You don't, you don't experience it that way. You know, that, that should not give us cause to question whether what we read is true. That should give us cause to stop and say, what is wrong? Is there something wrong in me? Is there something wrong in the situation? Something is out of order because God says this is the way it's supposed to designed to be, and yet it's not. And marriage is a perfect example of that. 
just for the, for the men, you just need to remember the, the man is a, God has designed the man to be the leader in the relationship. And that doesn't mean he's the one that is always telling people what to do necessarily. There's a, an element of that leadership. But you know what, there, what else there is? That means whenever something's messed up, the man is supposed to be the first one to fix it. And you know what you'll find? That when the, the husband does that, the wife often responds positively to that because he's leading. And she, the wife, what I found in my relationship with Allison is very often she's responding to me. In other words, it's something I did that she is responding to, be it good or bad. She's responding. I initiated it and she's responding. And so whenever something's messed up, you know, one way the husband can take leadership, and this is the godly kind of leadership, is to say, all right, I need to take some steps to fix this and to do something because I know that if, if, if it's not good, if it's not going good like God designed it to be, verse 22, then I need to take steps to fix it so that she'll respond good. And you know what? When that happens, all of a sudden you've got a better situation than you had before. Now, you heard me get buzzed, so we have to, we have to stop there, press pause I just, listen, I just want, and I, I, I want you to know that I pray to this end, specifically for you guys, those of you that are married, that you would have good marriages, that your relationships would be, would be satisfying, enriching, and good, that the husband and wives would, in our church would get along. And that's what I, that's what I want to see. That's what I, I love to see. That's what I want in my own life, right? And that's something we should all give our attention to and really remember that if it's, if it's not after God's design, pause, take, take, a, take a breath and say, Lord, what? All right, this is not the way you intend it. What do I need to do? Let's pray.